what conditions are stipulations. Magic tricks or manipulations interjecting conversations. I don't want to talk about it. We're gonna have to talk about it. We're doing it. All right. It looks like we are on the air, on the move. On the air, on the move. All of the above. Okay. Well. So this is the second episode that we've done remotely. Yeah. Um, and we, we're we re-recording it because things have been changing so rapidly these days. So we recorded, uh, we recorded a version of this episode a week ago. Um but the situation has changed so much in that time and um things have yeah i think have uh, escalated the, certainly and more details have come out yeah facts that what, what we thought were facts at yeah. the time have changed and new information has come to light it's all gotten worse and so we're re-recording all that fun stuff <laughs> we're re-recording it's it's june 5th and it is it would have been brianna taylor's 27th birthday today that's right. It is, I believe, the ninth day of protests in mm. New York City. Um, it is, uh, I think it's the third or fourth day of curfew in New York City, 8 p.m. curfew. Um, yeah, and I think Mackenzie it's is fifth day here? We Of curfew. Yeah, so, you guys got a curfew a little earlier. So Do you want to explain got, why you got curfew? Yeah, this is a, a great segue. So um, Arizona made a very prompt decision. Arizona, which, by the way... Um, was one of the first states to open back up, certainly before New York, uh, in light of lockdowns related to COVID, even though our cases are still rising and we had the most diagnosed cases yet, like two days ago, in a single day. Um, in any event, the... Well, isn't isn't Arizona's state's motto, like, you don't know until you try? <laughs> you don't know until... You don't, you don't know if what's going to happen until you try it, right? I think like, it's you everything don't know under how God. Many people... Detot deus or something, but basically in practice, yes. And um, it's really easy to just try everything if you are a rich white kid in Arizona, um, as we learned and as triggered the the curfew of a, like a week long curfew. So everything was fine in terms of the protests. Everybody was being peaceful. Um, there were no significant clashes or anything. And that was in downtown Phoenix. That's where Black Lives Matter was organizing and marching and all that. Um, but then I think. Saturday night, there's this mall about two miles away from my house called Scottsdale Fashion Square, um, and it's a very high-end mall. It's gotten more and more high-end as the years go on. I live, like, south of a nice neighborhood, so I don't live in the nice neighborhood, but I'm very close. Nice neighborhood adjacent. That's yeah. Mackenzie. Fancy adjacent is Mackenzie's whole brand. Absolutely. And I, it was always, like, a distinguishing factor when I went to school, because it's like, oh, all the other kids, like, live north, but... <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. I'm not bitter about it. All those kids and their families are the ones who looted Fashion Square Mall. They, uh, the, the fancy-ass kids looted the mall? Fancy-ass kids looted the fancy-ass mall. They broke into the Apple Store. They broke into Neiman Marcus, which is already bankrupt, by the way, so give them a break. They broke into the Mercedes-Benz dealership. And that was enough, of course, to spur the governor, Doug Ducey, 
Jesus Christ. Yeah, his name is Doug Ducey. Um, oh, I know. And all that that implies. The deuce. To uh, swiftly lock down Arizona after 8 p.m. Because God forbid we mess with Scottsdale Fashion Square and the Rich Housewives revenue. Um, I'm I'm not gonna, like, honestly, imagine looting, like, a bath and body works. You just go in and... Come and, on, man. Like... like... <laughs> It would smell nice. Stacy, upper upper middle class white kids who are like taking advantage of a movement they do not give a shit about to loot. Yeah, just a fancy ass mall, oh, going yeah. to a Bath and Body Works, and be like, all right, Stacy, focus. We're gonna go in. We're gonna get every candy apple scented candle on the shelf. You're being too practical. You're on hand sanitizer <laughs> because it wasn't. It wasn't even like that small scale, and it definitely was more men than women because one of them was youtuber jake paul who i actually didn't know who that was before i knew who his brother was because of that appalling suicide forest video appalling oh yeah oh, yeah. yeah so jake paul if you don't know who he is um shittiness runs in the you family you need to know yeah. and you should just continue your life i don't know bliss. anything except that he's a shitbag who used these protests as a an excuse to loot a mall i don't even think he lives here He's definitely wealthy enough to go to the Apple store on his own. He doesn't even go here. He doesn't here. go here. <laughs> Taking our Apple products, telling us how to raise our kids. Which is a kind of good segue into a different point. Um, if you are a white person showing up to these protests um, and you are starting mm -hmm. property destruction, oh you are God. starting the looting, A... Take your ass home Try immediately. <laughs> Sit in a corner and think about what you've done, and please Time never, do, never make an adult decision again. <laughs> like go back to your parents, your the the, the loft in whatever or maybe upper middle class neighborhood that your parents are paying for, yeah. and sit down and just 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 stop trying to insert yourself into shit you know nothing about. If you are going, if you are going, if you are a white person who's going to these protests at all, which we'll get into the background of, but just lay this off the top, you listen to the black organizers there, and do not start shit. Yeah, you you, you listen and you. You're there to take commands you and behave and yourself. The numbers and be kind of protective forces as white people be are. Be a buffer. Listen to black default, organizers. Yeah. Do not start shit. I'm so tired of seeing these videos of black activists begging white kids. Oh my God. Who are like just want to act out to stop causing destruction because they know how it's going to be framed, and white kids are just like not listening. It's like they're I, having I'm to play parents while it's it. actually their issue too. Right, it's like their movement yeah. is being co-opted by like kids named fucking Caden, who are like twenty-year-old liberal arts school. Yeah. All right, listen, fucking women's <laughs> studies majors. I'm sorry, listen. screaming. Those who live very close to glass houses <laughs> belonging to McKenzie's. I was going to say, I'm not throwing it from the inside of the glass. But your neighbor, just, your neighbor, whose name is definitely like a shitty white kid name, Mackenzie. Mackenzie? Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, by the way, this is exceedingly persuasive. And I am Mackenzie Brennan. And you are. And my name is... Okay, anyway, so, so now we're gonna pivot to a somber series. I mean, let's talk about how we got here. Let's talk about what's been going on yeah. in the world for the last if you've missed the last it, which few I, weeks I feel and months. Unlikely because it really has permeated a whole lot of society, at least in this country. Um, we're not going to go detail by detail, but we did want to give some yeah. context and some things that you may not have heard. Obviously, if you have if you've been paying any kind of attention, 
to the world for the last few weeks, you know that there have been um, several high-profile cases of Black people being killed by police. Um, and in Ahmed Arbery's case, by people chase, chasing him down in the street. Um, so if you've been paying attention at all, you know that that's been happening. We don't need to tell you that, but we are going to go through and talk a little bit about the cases, um, some things you may not know, some things you may have missed in all of this. We're gonna give kind of quick explainers on what's going on. And then just talk about uh, talk about where we're at. I think right off the top, obviously, this is an issue that as white women, we can support people within this movement. We can speak out about the issue and we will, and we can educate ourselves on the issue and we can try to be, try to be supportive and try to be, show up yeah. for the movement and in many ways. But our intent with this episode is to educate people and to talk about it, to not stay quiet about it. But we we can we can never know what this what being on the receiving end of we can never know what it's like to be the person in these situations right. because we're white women. And right. so we wanted to just obviously say that right off the bat. Yeah, so um, our role again, today is is kind of just gonna be conveying facts as best we can, using our relative power as people who benefit from these oppressive structures, um, to yeah. amplify accounts of how terrible this is and also to like amplify other perspectives more direct firsthand perspectives from black people and other people of color who are affected by this and direct you there um yeah we're gonna uh, we in our show <clears throat> in our show notes of this episode and at the end of the episode we're gonna talk a little bit about some resources if you are um a white person who wants to know more about these issues or donate yeah directly from yeah people uh, black people other people of color um, who who have been talking about this for a long time. And I think that as a society, we just did a really good job of mm -hmm. not listening. Yeah. And uh, we the, the people who could afford to ignore the issue of police brutality in often cases Chose did. to do that. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that there's – Mark Lamont Hill, who's a political commentator, um, said something to the effect of um, – it was the Ahmed Arbery case specifically. He said charges were not brought because law mm. enforcement saw the video. Charges were brought because we saw the video, and that we'll specify that a little more later on. But I think that like the point of this is that the reason why we're talking about this right now, the reason why everyone on social media and in mainstream media is talking about this right now, is because Black people have been doing a lot of work to get attention on these issues. And they've been, the families of the victims that we're going to talk about have all been um, trying to bring light to the issues well, and breathing. activists have been trying to bring light to the issues. Absolutely. And um, so the Black Lives Matter movement, the uh, movement to bring attention to police brutality against Black people, that movement started a long time ago. And the fact that it's just gaining steam right now is, I think, a failure. It, it, it shows a failure of our society in general. Um, but we are going to talk about it right now. We're going to talk about it and we are going to try to educate where we can. So the first case that we're going to talk about is the case that has caused, that sp spurred the protests Yeah, probably garnered nationwide. the most attention nationwide, the one with which most people are familiar. Uh, 
because it's yeah boy it's a tough call to say that it's the most heinous but it the whole encounter is on video um it was law enforcement acting <clears throat> rather than mm-hmm. a civilian which you know doesn't make it any better or worse but um it's such a stark contrast that yes it's a different and it's an imbalance of power yeah, yeah. Right. police brutality against black people is an issue that is very widespread and this is one example of that and i think again there have been so many cases just off the top of my head i can think of cases even, that we've even talked about in the last year on this podcast Flanio castile yeah. in 2016 um both jean jefferson cases of police brutality that were heinous and horrible and caught on video Flanio castile was killed in front of his daughter and well, that eric was caught garner. on video eric garner being and a, a- Eric Garner, yeah, parallel it, to uh, to George Floyd in the fact that both of them said, "I can't breathe" while they were being strangled to death in in different ways. One was like suffocated, and one was uh, a chokehold, but saying, "I can't breathe," and so that being already like an existing rallying cry of police brutality, absolutely, and still, and then to have that occur again, that really, again yeah, like you said, eerily similar. Yeah, uh, eight years later, Eric Garner was in 2012. Uh, it's Eric Garner and. George Floyd, and there's also a parallel between Ahmaud Arbery and Trayvon Martin yeah. in many ways. Yeah, because it's like a civilian call. empowering themselves to enforce a law, but right. there's really no good justification even to the law they're enforcing, but semi This idea of a citizen's states. arrest. Yes. There are, so many, there are so many parallels, and again, it just kind of, it's really disheartening to see that no progress has been made. But at least people are paying more attention now and i think it's a bit of a perfect storm of why now and why these cases right absolutely people are are kind of captive audiences in one sense that they weren't before because they do have more time to pay attention more time to think about it uh i think you had said when we talked about this uh before recording and this is a good point that there is more of a latent mistrust for the state right now Right. Um, because of the effects of coronavirus yeah. and the just watching institutions and systems crumble around you, mm-hmm. there's this inherent distrust of you, you realize the government is not going to help you. Um, there's this inherent distrust of local local government, the city and state and of uh, of the police, because it's kind of, you know, this what you assumed would be a safety net for a lot of people, what you assumed to be a safety net kind of thought out from underneath you. And I think it does. It's it's kind of stoking that fire of distrust and realizing that and maybe you can lean like on the people in your community yeah, yeah. yeah, more than you can lean on institutions or government. Um, yeah, and absolutely, the anxiety. Also, I saw a tweet that kind of summed this up perfectly um, where someone basically said, I'm, I'm furloughed right now. I don't have a job. Protesting is my job now. I'm going to be out here Monday through Friday. We're going to set up shifts. Yeah. Like, this is what I care about Four right now. Like, places to I be in the time morning, to kind of. And I... My friend Jeremy, I was talking to him about this, and he and I tend to have pretty similar views, but he mentioned something that I hadn't even occurred to me, but that a lot of people, and look at Charlottesville, for example, is a great example yeah. of a lot of people who do, and this is the flip side, this is not why are people caring in a positive way and showing up to protests um, yeah. and being on the right side of history, if you will, but in terms of things escalating more quickly to violence and people co-opting the cause to destroy property and make it a riot that's totally unrelated, um, that there are fewer people who are employed right now. So there are fewer people who are worried about their employers finding out that they did a shitty thing. So... 
Um, Ooh, and yeah. also, you know, I think the, <clears throat> there's also an economic criticism to be made where if you repeatedly show people that the, the, the society you live in cares more about private property than about human life, I think that hmm. in some ways you're going to react like this. You're and again, like there, I think making a distinction between, um, a lot of the property destruction that's going on and the peaceful that it is not protests Black Lives Matter that, that's doing this. It's not absolutely. A part of the cause it's kind often. of it's people who who are on the outskirts of the of the actual movement, right. and I think that a lot of the the organizations that are involved, the majority of the protesting has been peaceful. But at the same time, we have record level unemployment. It's the highest unemployment since the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. We have very very few social safety nets. People are mad people are desperate and then you see them you have this kind of catalyst moment of police brutality watching the, the despicable heart-wrenching video yeah. of Ahmed Arbery's killing well I think then you had oh, Rihanna Taylor's death yeah. then you had George Floyd and I think that it's just like you people can only take so much right, you right. know and we already were kind of on the brink that if we're yearning for the days of just regular quarantine but even comparing it to that and how the state values property versus human life that a lot of states yeah. were, boy, I wish I could remember who said it. Cause it's one of those, like you come across a tweet and you like it and then just keep moving. But uh, somebody said like the same folks saying all lives matter. Now were willing to sacrifice grandma to the economy um, like three weeks ago in the name of like, we should reopen the States in light of COVID because the old people need to just be comfortable dying. Right. And, there's this weird, like it's there's such this weird a, kind- blatant disconnect with the timing uh, oh and the one thing that i did want to add that we had mentioned in the um the previous episode that we had to scrap because everything's been moving so quickly and so drastically is that there is a fundamental um like tenet in common law and in statutory law now in this country that you cannot protect your property with something that causes violence to human life because Property is inherently not as valuable as human life. And just to protect right. property, you can Under the law. Yeah. So the the case that illustrated this, and you come across it like first-year tort law, is some guy who had rigged up these booby-trapped um, spring-loaded shotguns in his farmhouse because all these kids kept breaking in and, like, having parties and having sex on his farmhouse, like, property. But he wasn't living there. Nobody was living there. It was just an empty property right. that belonged to him. He had it rigged so that somebody, some kid ended up breaking in. And when I say kid, it could have been like teen, 20s, I don't know. But uh, got shot in the leg and injured. So he didn't lose his life, but there was an injury Which to is... his body. And the court ruled, and this has become such a, a fundamental doctrine since then, unanimously, that you cannot protect your property in a way that damages human life because it's simply not at the same level. You can lose is... your property, and that is not justifying injuring other people a spring loaded shotgun <laughs> to protect your property that you like open the door as a booby trap with a shotgun yeah. is such like saw level so sociopathic crazy oh, I like, know. It's bullshit. like wild, it seems really wild west to me like this crackpot guy with like a rundown farmhouse and people yeah i know it's very yeah it's very uh texas chainsaw massacre. yeah um, but like we've established even in the the law enforcement community because they have to follow the laws that the court set um, that that Absolutely. is not a value that that we're allowed to make for ourselves. We cannot decide that property is more important than human life because it's simply not. So to, just to to go back to the 
Yeah, let's do to George Floyd. Explicitly explain quick recap. Yeah. the cases. We will start with George Floyd. George Floyd was a 46 year old father. Uh, he was accused of using a counterfeit $20 bill, which, um, it, if you look at what how far we've come now and what all has happened now, the fact that this has all started because someone used a counterfeit, allegedly, allegedly that they suspected used a counterfeit he... $20 bill. And think of how right. many times, like, I don't, I don't confirm that every dollar that I spend at, like, a convenience store is issued by the u.s mint right. or treasury or something like i don't know i don't hold Who it up knows? i don't hold what? 20 up to the no. light before i pay with it to make sure there's some ghost of a dead president on it like that's just not something i do i don't, we don't even know if he knew it we don't even know if he did because it's allegedly and it's allegedly also such a, a racial bias type um suspicion that absolutely and it, and it, it does i think it really underscore um how over criminalizing mm-hmm contributes to situations like this and contributes to oppression of poor people and, and and black people people of color in general um but so he was he was accused of using a counterfeit 20 dollar bill this there are going to be several descriptions in this uh show of um graphic violence we just want to let you know that right now um and so if that's something that you would rather if you prefer not to listen to that you can skip ahead or or shot the episode, but yeah, we'll try um, not to be too um, too graphic. graphic but to explain what happened. Yeah, yeah we, people have seen enough mm. violence and stuff. So what we want to we do want to um, explain what happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, the officer pinned Mr. Floyd um, by the neck and sat on his neck with his knee, um, crushing his neck for eight minutes and forty six seconds. Which, if you just sit. For at the memorial service in New York City, they actually had a, a moment like a silent eight for eight minutes and um, forty six seconds of eight minutes of silence. Basically, um, it's a long time. Yeah, this is not some. This is not like a a you know spur of the moment accident. Not that that would justify it, but it's not a spur of the moment accident. This is a decision that had to be made repeatedly. Yeah, every um, moment that he's sitting there is a moment that, and it it's he chose it's to an be there. Active, thing that he was engaged in like i think even where there were two autopsies done one by a physician hired by the family one by the state medical examiner and we won't get into the findings too much they were they differed slightly but they were both consistent in saying that there was trauma to the spine and the windpipe and the lungs so <laughs> i mean the, the, the this isn't just a restraint position point the, like, right the final point is that George Floyd wouldn't have died yes. had Derek Chauvin not been sitting on his neck. Um, and there, the, the, the position, video is, I think, was not necessary. I think that that's pretty clear, too. It wasn't it's necessary. It's not just the restraint, and first, it was overly violent, even if it had, absolutely. If restraint had and, been in necessary. That, in a way that even the, the video is, is, is heart-wrenching because he's sitting on Mr. Floyd's neck. He's kind of smugly staring at a woman who's recording what's going on. She's screaming, get off of his neck. Another bystander is screaming. There's a crowd of people yelling for this officer. And videos from two to... angles. And so, like, to be so casual and confident in your own rightness Absolutely. or your own power that there's, he's just looking. There's a crowd of people screaming at him, and he has his hand in his pocket, and mm. he's kind of just, like, smugly staring at this woman with the camera as a crowd panics, knowing they can't step in because they know that they could be at risk of experiencing police violence if they step in. And And Floyd himself um, is coherent, um, at least in the beginning, that, you know, sometimes 
you can understand that if somebody is alleging that someone was resisting arrest, for example, and then you see that they clearly are struggling or they're yelling or they're um, in a state that they can't be reasoned with or, or constrained, that is not the case here. Uh, like Floyd no. is coherent. He's not really fighting, even though he's, he's a in big guy. extreme distress. But yeah. he's he's saying things like, I can't breathe. I think he calls for his mom at some point. Like he, he call, Yeah, he yeah. calls for his mom at some point, which is just... As things get more dire. Yeah. It's depraved that watching it is, it's a, it's a moment where you realize that to be in that headspace of that officer to be doing that is to not see this person as another human being. Um, and not even, not in in my opinion, and there's no, there's no provocation. It, It really is not even like there was a fight from what I've seen to go. Officers claimed early on that he resisted arrest and a witness said that he would not resist arrest. And he was lying down, complying with the officer. Yeah, I mean, again, and this will come up a lot, and I think you and I have both said this. We will say this this repeatedly, yeah. Yeah, even had he been, resisting arrest is not a capital crime. What it would change, potentially, is if they did have to physically restrain him because he was struggling. That's not the case here. You you see that that's not the case. And they weren't even using... They weren't using a restraint that they should have been using. So even had... this one is so risky to uh, the physical body in a lot of different ways that are obviously irreparable so and yeah we'll we'll say this again and again there's there's a checklist that a lot of people do in their head when they hear about something like this when they hear about a case of police brutality or a a person dying or being shot or being killed by police Mm -hmm. they do a checklist in in their head The, the questions they ask themselves are did that person commit a crime did they resist arrest Basically trying to, like, chalk up in their head, well, yeah. did this person deserve it? I think that there's, and... there's probably some, there's a little bit of legitimate animus there, and there's a little bit of biased animus there. Because when I think of something, you even think of when you hear about somebody who died from COVID, it's like, well, did they have a pre-existing condition? The subtext in your subconscious being, could this happen to me? And yeah. then if you can say, oh, well, I wouldn't do X, Y, Z, or I don't have that condition, that there probably is a self-protective instinct that some people are feeling as a knee-jerk. But you do see it then we have parlayed to kill into, that and, yeah. right, you see it parlayed into <laughs> excusing police brutality and kind of keeping yourself blind because you can make excuses and justify when it really does not justify because these right. are extrajudicial murders. I think it's partially this idea of, well, I, I would never break the law, sure. even though Which most people, almost everyone anyways, has at some yeah. point. <laughs> um, and we talked about that before. And it's also this, it's, it's what another thing, another thing we talked about on the show many times, which is dehumanization of criminals mm-hmm. that you, as someone who commits a crime in your mind there's this is less worthy of in humanity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And society it's reinforces that in, in the way that we treat every day. So it's, Yeah. Every day, our society, through media and through the way that we punish people and the way that we uh, treat people when they are, come out of the mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. carceral system, we reinforce the idea that people who commit crimes are less worthy of rights, less worthy of empathy, less worthy Even of if they yeah, serve absolutely. Their time. Yeah, that that says something fundamental about who they are. Even though, again, most people, every, oh, I would say, I'm just gonna say this. I'm gonna say it. Everyone at some point commits a crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody. Yeah, everyone commits a crime at some point. You through, through different factors, either privilege, the, the color of your skin, the fact that you're a woman instead of a man, the fact that you live in a certain area, 
or the accident um, the of no one being around the act just fate mm-hmm. you might not ever get caught but you have committed a crime you are not better than the people that you in, like, the people that you manage to feel disdain for in these situations like binary of so, humanity. yeah um, when we talk about these cases and we say george floyd did not resist arrest what we are trying to emphasize is not uh whether or not he there's a there's a, an innocence versus guilty factor mm-hmm. what we're trying to emphasize is that the police said he was a sit arrest and, and witnesses said he didn't and that the way that he was restrained was so unnecessary because Absolutely. you know we're not saying that there are never cases where um somebody is physically unable to be contained but they need to incarcerate them and so you you know hold somebody's hands behind their back or hold them against something there are cases when that does happen and yeah but this simply was not one of them the response to george floyd was was pretty swift uh all four officers were immediately fired which is it's uncommon it certainly would not um, have happened a year ago yeah <laughs> a year ago that would not have been the case um they were immediately fired and i think it was because the egregiousness of it right, right. was impossible to deny. Because it's it's the egregiousness, Absolutely. it's the fact that it's on video, it's the fact that everybody has wrapped attention right now, and that... Uh, and that there were these other really high-profile cases yeah. that were happening right before yeah, it as so well. Yeah, so there's these contemporaneous ones, and also it's, it's both the fact that this one was so egregious and the fact that it's not uniquely egregious. Society's reaction to a lot of these cases, as we've seen, has been like maybe some outrage right after mm-hmm. um but then it hasn't really carried out and again or that is a failing to, of to the minority community that's affected absolutely so whether it be the, the black community or who been, again, that's fighting for yeah. fighting for this cause mm-hmm. since forever but it's, mm-hmm. especially in a, in a very organized way um under the black lives matter banner since Ferguson. But again, just to repeat the fact that we so quickly lose sight of these cases is a failure of the white community. Yeah. And it's something that we need to address in the white community is why we continue to let this happen. Mm-hmm. Derek Chauvin was initially charged with third degree murder. Mm-hmm. Um, charges were expanded in the last week to include the more serious charge of one count of second degree murder. Also, the, the other three officers who were there and watched it happen Complicit. and didn't Yeah, and didn't intervene. So they were bound to follow the same code of both humanity and law enforcement absolutely they did not step in they absolutely should have stepped in Mm -hmm. they were charged with aiding and abetting second degree murder and aiding and abetting second degree manslaughter both yeah and we'll get Um, into the the second degree murder charge is a felony murder charge which is a term of art that we'll get into a little bit later because it also applies in ahmaud arbery's case there were eight nights of protests um that kind of on a nationwide scale revived um revive the Black Lives Matter movement nationwide. Again, they've been doing the good work yeah. for years. The com- but the conversation and around the immediacy of a this policy. nationwide. And again, and it is worth noting that the reaction to Black Lives Matter was very hostile. There is a lot of hostility now from yeah. from a lot of people who don't want to face what's going on in our country. Well, and it's, but, I think it's also, more than that, it's, it's a subconscious and implicit racism because you know if somebody oh no absolutely this all what under what undergirds all of this right, is racism. Right. that you can't be complacent well i think that there's and not to color too much in shades of gray in something that is 
blanket bad. But I think some people um, really are ignorant to it because they've been protected from it, uh, which doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make it good or defensible. But that is a little bit different than people who are consciously comfortable with yeah, And I think a lot of the people... I actually don't know what camp a lot of people who were anti-Black Lives Matter and pro-all like lives matter. I don't know where a lot of people lie on that spectrum, but it's but like I responding think, yeah. to Breast Cancer Awareness Month by being like, well, mm, I don't know, because people die of other things. One thing is not the Something. exclusion of another, and this is what we're talking about right now. So if all lives matter, you almost should be pro-Black Lives Matter because, by definition, they do. So what's the problem? Right. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of things being shared right now trying to explain to people who use terms like all lives matter why they shouldn't use terms like all lives matter and my position on that is if in 2020 you're still using the phrase all lives matter you've made a conscious decision not to care about this and not right. to educate because, yourself and, and not to that, be aware that of maybe this maybe that's more um the audience that we should focus on is not the people who are so persistent in that, because it's obvious now that there's no logic behind it. It's not actually about caring about all humanity mm-hmm. or so, whatever yeah. their purpose goal is. That let's isolate them now because yeah. there is no logic to it. Nobody's pretending there's logic to it. And I think that something can't. that I've seen being shared a lot that I think puts it in a very succinct way is. Um, it's a privilege to learn about racism instead of experiencing racism. Yeah. So we can talk about the fact that people may just be quote unquote ignorant about this, but if you, it's a gift to be ignorant just on its face. Yeah. It's it's, if you are ignorant to issues of racism, it's because you have not had to face the, the the effects of racism. It's because you, because you're a white person, because you're in the white community, Mm -hmm. you have not had to, but you're, it doesn't mean you're not benefiting from the structure too. So it's kind of, you are absolutely benefiting from the structure. Um, yeah. And that's the thing is like people, People who like say like, well, I don't really want to think about that, or I don't want to talk about that, or like I'm colorblind, or whatever it is. You're enjoying it. You say stuff like that. You are actively saying like, I don't care about the struggle that the black community faces, or people even though I face. Yeah. And I, I, I choose to not make myself uncomfortable by ignoring it. Mildly uncomfortable. That's what it is because it's you know it's only an indictment on you if you are shitty. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, like if you benefit from this structure, which if you're, you know, again, like it's not a personal. If you're, if you're white and you're benefiting from the structure that we have created in this country, then you're not going to want to give. Like, it, it, there are lots of people who yeah. just do not want to give. I think that that's up. what, what and they're really not, is. It's yeah, they're not willing to share that. Um, but you know, share that power with others and and power and agency in a society. It's not like a limited resource. You can. Everybody can be equal without it pulling from your own equality. <laughs> I don't. You're gonna. I mean, you're gonna give up if you're if if you're giving up the if the society is structured to benefit white people over black people and other people of color. Then and you are changing that society. You're going to have to give up certain privileges that you have that you experience because I of that I, structure. I agree with that, and I like I see what you're saying. I agree with it, and I don't. Because at the same time, it's no skin off anybody's nose if police aren't unduly targeting people of color and black people aren't getting killed because of these suspicions 
that they're committing these minor infractions and that that justifies violence against it. Like that is not actively going to detract from anybody who benefits from the power structures life. And that's what I don't fully understand. It's like, what, what do you lose? It's a tangent, but what I will say, well, yeah, I think that's, I think that we're, yeah, we're getting off on a totally different conversation here. But I think what I will say about that is that if you're sitting comfortably in the structure that exists now, and other people are benefiting from the structure, from you sitting comfortably in that structure, yeah. shaking that up might be painful for you. Sure. But like, you have to decide. You know and y- yeah, you have to decide if racial injustice matters enough to you to do that. And for a lot of people, you just, should decide it that. Or it but yeah, for a lot of yeah. people, they're not, they're not going to change how Why they behave bother? or how they. Why make my write. life harder? And yeah, that's probably accurate. And what. I, what I want to say about, at least for myself, I'm not at all like, that is a, that is a work in progress. I'm a work in progress in that area, you know? Yeah, we all but have it's to like, get, are you going to... Beneficiaries are of you gonna, the system, we have to get used to being wrong and admitting that we're wrong and learning. It's a good yeah, lesson in general, like, but yeah. About whether or not you're going to commit to doing that, mm-hmm. you know, to doing that work. So, Well, anyway. speaking of ways that you can um, commit to doing it, um, we can move to the protests then. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the the reason why the three officers in the George Floyd case were charged with um, with aiding and abetting murder were because of eight days of widespread protests. Mm-hmm. People were not letting the city of Minneapolis or anyone else yeah, really any um, city, away from this. City. Absolutely. So if you want to get into yeah, so now uh, in New York City, there's an APM curfew. In other cities, there's APM curfew. Arizona. Um, they started spreading, they started laying down these curfews because people were out in the streets, um, every night they were, they were making noise about this. They were bringing attention to it. And it was getting to the point where I think that like people are, I mean, people are scared. Like, I think that people in positions of power are scared right now of how mad people are about this. And I think that's why we're seeing curfews. The practical effects of the, the, whether it be protesting or rioting, um, or looting in the case of Scottsdale Fashion Square, <laughs> really, like, it it ran the gamut in cities, and you see kind of two sides of that spectrum in New York versus Phoenix and Scottsdale that, like, New York, it seemed like a more constructive, actually affiliated with the cause itself, and it was anger about this specific event, and it was more looking towards a common goal, whereas here... You might have seen comparable property destruction because, you know, people in New York were handling it in different ways because it was just such a big group of people. But uh, here, it was not affiliated with Black Lives Matter, and yet it was also just one night. So different cities responded in a similar way to what were different approaches but what i've heard kenzie as a lawyer could you expand on how there's been an argument that um you know freedom of assembly freedom of speech is being violated by the curfew and by police um kind of beating back these protests right can you expand on that a little bit yeah so that's it's something that i've heard thrown around a lot is you know the intuitive thing that we all understand that the First Amendment protects freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. And so I think people's assumption, especially because this is being carried out so poorly in a lot of cities, and it was both instituted in a, a haphazard way, and then it's being enforced in a 
terrible way that has gotten very violent at the hands of law enforcement, um, that people's instinct is to say, but we have freedom of speech, we're allowed to protest, uh, we have freedom of assembly, this is unconstitutional. And so I want to qualify up top that I agree in terms of the end goal that these curfews have been instituted um, rashly in a lot of places, probably not a good means to the end that the respective cities and states are looking for, which is to calm people <laughs> and address the yeah. issue. Um, so I agree with the end goal and with the sentiment of this is unfair, this is unjust, it needs to stop. But um, I'm I'm cautious about how it's been used because I think if you use arguments like that, especially these sweeping constitutional arguments incorrectly, and that's your first premise, uh, it gets a lot easier to dismiss the argument, harder to convince lawmakers, and you simply just don't have the strong point that you think you do. Um, but it still is wrong, I think, in practice, and, and there are ways to show that. So just to trace back to the actual text of the First Amendment, because it's been thrown around a lot, but I don't know that we're actually ever saying it. So the text says, Con Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble. So right there, you got a, a bit of a tricky word in peaceably assemble. We're going to split it into speech and assembly, though. So the first big point that I have is that expression isn't even in there, but it's been kind of implied through the years that expression is a way that people speak, and so it's like expressive conduct is essentially speech in practice. So yeah, we can throw protesting in there. Um, and it's a... If you burn a flag, that's protected under exactly. freedom of speech. Exactly, that's a great example. Even though example. it's an expression, not a speech. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that was the path that that extension took in terms of the courts extending mm -hmm. it. My second big thing is that even though it might sound a little counterintuitive to say this, just because something is protected by or prohibited by the Constitution, included as this fundamental right, it doesn't mean that that right is absolute. So a good example that you hear about freedom of speech not being absolute is that, yes, it is the First Amendment, it is fundamental to our society, but you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. That's right. a speech that you are not free to. Um, you can't demand or like have this detailed plan and ask somebody else to murder your coworker. Um, that's not okay. So there are different types of permissible restrictions that the law can put on speech and expression. Um, and usually for the First Amendment, it's grouped into categories. So some categories of speech that have no or limited protection, which means that the state can limit them more freely, um, incitement to violence, true threats or fighting words, and obscenity. So all of those are things that you... Again, if we're just talking about drafting the law, yeah. you can argue that those are things that would come up at the worst moments in riots, um, that the the harm outweighs the benefit. And think about like the actual times when these happen. I'm not talking about in practice what has actually gone down. I'm just talking about drafting these laws that say you can't do X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. Because then the enforcement piece obviously falls to the discretion of law enforcement, Um and that's a whole different story. But just in terms of... And we've of, seen how that right. has worked out and that's in so many the of these cases where escalation... Miscarriage of justice, with, with, yeah, is. The police have escalated violence oh, or yeah. started violence in, in confrontations with, with peaceful protesters. Yeah. Um, 
I think that one thing that I would say about curfews is that you kind of, you said that you disagree with the implementation of curfews. And I think that, um, in this circumstance, something I've talked about with, right. And under the, these circumstances, mm-hmm. something I've talked, well, and I'm not really ever a fan of curfews. I was, yeah, like, I don't like, ever want to, this is where like my more libertarian leaning come in, comes yeah, in and I, I tend to be more cautious to make a sweeping, like I'm never okay with this. Cause usually there is, yeah, you can always think of a circumstance. An exception. And meanwhile, yeah. I love to make sweeping statements, and I will make one right now. <laughs> I'm cautious Fuck lawyer. Curfews. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mackenzie will be the cautious lawyer. I will be the the very passionate, uncautious um, person making just wide yeah. sweeping statements that I'll probably have to walk back someday. But this is the balance I feel pretty that we strongly so about this about the way just the world like, works. And it's a hell of a time to feel strongly. Yeah, I I absolutely understand that. that. And I think that Um, part of it is because the text on paper is very different than how it has been carried out in practice. I think that this is something that I have to attribute to my lovely roommate, Sarah Lyons, with whom I've been spending a lot of time. And I'm so glad. No way. Because we're (laughs) quarantined together. And so I've been, I've had access to her wonderful brain which is a gift And not much to the else world. in the world, so it's like, thank God and that, that she exists. Just, yes, I am so, like, I've said this before on the podcast, I'm pretty sure, but like, truly, I am. I would not want to be quarantined with anyone but Sarah. I love her. She and I have talked a lot about this, and one thing that she kind of uh, made me think about was the idea that the state really has no solutions outside of punitive measures in many of these cases. And curfew is a punitive measure. Mm-hmm. It's not a solution to the, it's not, because if, if the problem is systemic police violence against black people and the way that that's causing people to protest right. in the street, putting a, down a curfew is not a solution to that. It's a punitive measure right. that in this case, has just royally pissed off New Yorkers. Yeah, and like, I don't know that it's it's prevented very much. What I would say is that punitive measures... And because I, people are still out oh, right, right. after curfew. And people are still clear, protesting. Like, but, people are still protesting after curfew. In fact, Jamani Williams, our public yeah. advocate, has been holding... Which, like, listen, some people have disagreed with me on this one. Um, but I will say, personally, my personal belief as a... New Yorker, uh-huh. and that on only the capacity as of New Yorker. Jumani Williams, our public advocate, has been holding press conferences at eight oh one. Ah, that's beautiful. At I night, love that. and um, again, as a as a civilian, as a New Yorker, and and, in your and only in that capacity, personal capacity, in yeah. my personal life. That is kick ass. No, it's great. It's I think making a statement. It's just I this little you. like. Yeah. It's just a little like. Hey guys, I see you. I see how you feel about Cuomo's curfew, and um, I'm gonna come out here at eight oh one, and I'm gonna have a press conference. Yep. Oh, and why? No reason. Curfew starts just at eight. Whoopsie. Like it's just it's so great. Subjectively, I yeah, love it. Whatever. Um, but with also there's this video of New Yorkers. Um, just for if there are children around, maybe mute this next. Oh, part. you should like, have I'm muted it a long time ago. I'm sorry. Words. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> sorry, but. We're down. I'm going to use cuss words here, uh, but there's this video going around of New Yorkers chanting "fuck your curfew, suck my dick," <laughs> and it is the New York City just generation. makes my heart flutter yeah. occasionally. Just I do with love, love New York, and it, 
I, I will be Adoration. forced to return there soon as it's reopening. Yes, um, come back to me. Yeah, so I, um, I do. Anyway. I am empowered by these moments. Um, the one thing. We can move on. That's my thoughts on curfew. Yeah, I yeah. hate it. I don't like it. I think it's not a solution at all. I don't like authoritarianism being used. It as a, certainly is a solution. A puni- in a sense, it's a punitive measure. Um, in, in that it's more stick than carrot, if you will. Yeah. Um, but in the sense that. If applied well, and only when it's needed, um, it's, I mean, it's akin to quarantine, right? It's that there is a state of public emergency. Uh, you think of, I don't know if they actually ever did this for Son of Sam, but if there is something, I know that my, so my mom is one of four sisters, and they all had long, dark hair in New York City in 77. So, like, and if you have ever listened to our good friend Ben Kissel's podcast, yes. last podcast on the left, and their Son of Sam episodes, then you know that Son of Sam really liked the ladies with the dark hair. Absolutely. Um, so, my mom's family kind of imposed a curfew. I don't know if it was actually state imposed, but I know that a lot of women who fit that bill um, were retiring early. So, mm. there is a, a kind of public emergency sense, like there is with quarantine of this is an immediate measure that the state has to use and should only use when it is absolutely necessary to keep people off the streets. Uh, absolutely. But so in that sense, it's it's not punitive unless it's applied as such. And I think now you can argue that it is being applied as such. Oh, oh, worth saying, though, before I get off of the point about different categories of speech, political speech and viewpoint related speech is like top tier of protection. So on the one hand, yeah, you have things like uh, incitement to violence and fighting words uh, being limited protection categories, but the courts have recognized that freedom of speech means nothing if you can't do things like protest or dissent. So that's the flip side, that these protests are definitely using that kind of speech as well and expression. So... um, to have one, you have to recognize that the other one is being suppressed. So the bottom line there is that, no, um, to have a curfew in light of protests getting violent or there being violence, you know, in a, in a very after abstract or d- During sense, or after yeah, is not that are, per se yeah. unconstitutional. That does not mean that as applied, if there's not a good justification for it, or if we're making up these post-talk reasons, or if, if it's imbalanced in how we're applying it, it doesn't mean that as applied it can't be unconstitutional, but I right. hate to tell America it is not necessarily unconstitutional just to impose a curfew. Not necessarily this. unconstitutional. Yes. Sucks, kind of, but also let's move from there because it still uh, is questionable as a method. And so, yeah, and... What I will say about about the protests in general is, um, I think that you know what is protected under the the law and mm-hmm. what is perceived by the yes. public are two different things. And what I will say about this is that on uh, I have been watching video after video after oh, yeah. video of police brutality at these protests, and that's where we should police. be focusing is how it's being Absolutely. enforced, how the quote unquote discretion of law enforcement is where a lot of the practicality of these of any law is left and you know i went to school for seven years to be a lawyer um and to enforce it to be the ultimate arbiter kind of you you don't have to have that training and you're allowed a lot more uh leeway 
authority. You have a lot more Mm state-sanctioned authority as a police officer than you do a lawyer. Yeah. And as a lawyer, you have to go through a lot more to understand the law and how to enforce it. And I can get kicked out pretty easily, too, if I misapply that power. So, um, yeah. Yeah, an officer who was was shown in a video pushing a young woman down a flight of Mm. concrete stairs um, was later found to have 71 cases Mm. of... Uh, use of force on his on his record inappropriate use of force on his record 71 cases before before he was shot in this video doing this and watching a lot of these videos and sharing a lot of these videos and one thing that um has really struck me is that you hear the term chilling of free speech a lot that's actually a legal term thrown around Um, yeah that's a, a term that comes out of the court's Right, it's the the chilling of free speech, the idea that yeah. like maybe it's not necessarily suppressing free speech, but it's the chilling of free speech. It's Even like these a videos to free speech. So maybe nobody's right, practically it, saying to you, you can't do this, but the they're not changing is the, the laws yeah. to actively suppress free speech. But what they are doing is they are intimidating mm-hmm. people who are exercising their right to free speech. They're kind of dancing so, around that line uh, right up to it as much as possible. If you are a person who cares about freedom of speech, if you are a person who cares about state abuse, mm-hmm. if you are a person who cares about um, freedom at all, any kind of liberty or uh, Americans' right to function in their daily life and 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 utilize their, their rights and freedoms under the Constitution without... Um, without state oppression, without state overreach mm-hmm. and, authorita- and authoritarianism affecting their ability to do so. And you watch these videos, these videos should infuriate you. They infuriate right. me. And I think that about and law enforcement too, that, that boy, if I saw a lawyer, for example, acting in a way that's comparably bad to what you see in these videos, I would be yeah. the first one saying like, oh my God, this does not represent our community. This is wrong. I disavow it. We disavow it. Right. It's not us. And that's what really yep. throws me a lot of times with the closing ranks. Um, that why? Oh, they just decide <laughs> that like, we're, we're all going to, there's a case in Buffalo that happened just the, the last man, 24 the hours year old. of a 75 year old who was, um, he was actually the context of the video that most people think was what happened. He's holding a police helmet in his hand so people think that he was trying to give it back but either way he walks up to an officer well you can see there that is a swarm of officers walking toward him he walks up to them he tries to hand the helmet back he says excuse me excuse me they say step back he tries to again like kind of push this excuse me the guy pushes him back forcefully the man, it's and you can't forcefully it, like, there's no two ways of reading that shove. piece of the video yeah. uh-uh. he falls and hits his head Ugh. and smacks it against the pavement and immediately blood just starts running out of his ear. They could have that that could have been just like a casual cavalier. It, he, the, off, the, the officer should be charged with in attempted. my mind attempted murder. Yeah, it's certainly assault. Because um, um, he could have killed him and he, and he it was definitely assault. He, he uh, ended up in stable condition. He's still alive, but I it heard was critical this assault. morning. So, it, you know, the fact that at least 24 hours out, he was critical condition it's great that he's recovered but this was a yeah. serious I mean, injury sta- yeah quote-unquote stable condition he's not fully recovered but he's he's that's doing okay. it like, he's like you have head trauma in your mid-70s yeah. at 75 yeah. yeah um the in this case two officers who well, the officer who actually pushed him and the officer who 
um, I believe, prevented other officers from helping him. Which arguably is uh, a lot, I mean, a lot of them have a lot to answer for because it's a whole line of officers going by. There were at least, I would say, 20 officers in the shot. Yeah, that seems um, safe, yeah. Two of them were suspended temporarily while, quote-unquote, an investigation is held. Um, I believe with pay. Yeah, okay, that's nice. And so they get a vacation. There's also there's also the fact that oh, so it's 57 of the officers who were on the squad oh, yes. stepped down from their positions in protest of two officers being suspended. Right. Their words, they were quote unquote only following orders. So not only somebody said did these please shove officers this man? not step in. What do you say? Sorry. So somebody said please shove this man. Yeah, apparently that's exactly yeah they were quote unquote just following yeah, orders. Yeah, we saw how that worked in Nuremberg. Like, come on. <laughs> Not only did people not step in to help this man when he was shoved over, but 57 officers who were on the squad, this particular squad in Buffalo, um, resigned in protest after these two officers were suspended because of how they were and that's when i think about if i were in a comparable position with with a colleague of mine or somebody in my profession yeah um boy i would be so hesitant to express anything other than especially if if the eyes of the nation are on me oh my god uh yeah i don't know and i think a lot uh, of people would would be the same well there's one more thing about that that i the the department initially claimed that he tripped and fell yeah a nice like dv parallel there yeah, exactly. Very similar to um, the Floyd case where there was a there was a lie that the department put out. Yeah. And then that was later on. I mean, we saw it, all of us can see in the video that he's shoved down. They said he tripped and fell and later had to recant that. So it's a classic like a almost hackneyed domestic violence yeah. scenario. Yeah, exactly. He he tripped and fell. Um so we talked a little bit about this in the episode Lean up to this, but we there were there were several cases that happened um, in in February and March that came to a boiling point in May. Yeah, different that cases as, brought attention as the family slowly succeeded in trying to rally, bringing national attention to these the cases. Yeah. Again, just to point this out, as we as we talked about before, is like. The fact that justice has to be sought out by the family, the family has to kick and scream and claw for justice in these cases until some national attention gets on it. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of us can vote. The fact that this happens so often and we can, we only talk about it when it hits a national scale. We only know what we know. So we we don't know how many times it doesn't happen. Absolutely. But that's an indictment Mm -hmm. on our system. That's an indictment on our culture, the fact that we do not God, pay attention when this, that has happened so often. Can you imagine on a personal level, no. just the torture of, I, I, we can't because we know that that would not happen in the same way, or it would be so easy to rally the outcry if it did, because it is so anathema to think of that, that it would be that much stranger. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a cliche at this point that if a white girl goes missing or there's any kind of violence befalls a white girl, um, especially a pretty white girl, they're They're affluent every eye is on that and hey i don't want to discourage that this is kind of like the raise boys and girls the same way this is one of those things that like let's elevate everything to that level of outrage and attention (laughs) right and let's reduce the number of times it happens let's make it so infrequent let's let's change our culture part of the conversation too if it's happening all the time it's it's harder to get that outraged each time it happens um but the pair or get that amount of attention on it Yeah, yeah yeah i mean collective outrage um 
but so the the leap that we were going to make to the Ahmad Arbery case was felony murder. Ahmad Arbery was a 25-year-old who lived in Brunswick, Georgia. He loved to jog. Uh, his mother said that anytime he wasn't working for his father's landscaping business, he was jogging. He loved to run. Um, on Sunday, February 23, he was jogging in Brunswick. Um, he was stalked hmm. and killed by um, two men. The killing was caught on video. They have been charged with... What well, was actively um, taped, even. It was actively taped. It was taped by a third man. Um, Travis McMichael and Gregory McMichael, they saw Ahmad jogging in their neighborhood. They called 911. They followed him, and they shot him when he tried to get away. Well, he was looking at, and this is something that I know stuck with me and stuck with my mom when we heard the story together, was... Um, I think his offense, such as it was, was that he was looking at some building site. The excuse they used, yeah, Yeah. the excuse they used to follow him. But he was, like, looking at some building or a a house or something that was going up in the area, and that's something that my mom and I do. Not to, like, I don't know, indict myself, but we love looking at houses going up in the neighborhood, and it's something that she and I have done before. You know, you go onto the construction site and you see what the house is looking like. And it's such a normal yeah. thing that people who are naturally curious do. And most people who do that are not going to get killed site. or arrested. Like, nobody's going to say anything about it, let alone civilian vigilante militia decide to take on the cause and murder you for it. Right. On and your two job. white women going, yeah. going into a building and looking around um are treated in this are treated very differently than yeah, a 25 year old black man i think for my mom hearing that it was just not that she's ever been somebody who falls on the doubtful side but it was just so stark it just put into sharp relief how exactly. unjust yeah, this was yeah mm-hmm. so the the two men called 911 they claimed that there was their wording was that there was a black man jogging around their neighborhood and then they oh, yes, followed the crime him. Of jogging around my neighborhood. They said <laughs> well, they said black. that he had, was poking around a construction site. Get a life on just like a. Face both level. had guns. Both were armed. Absolutely. But, I mean, it's it is you what know are you doing. I mean, you don't have to. We should call out the obvious racism of this, right? Oh that yeah. I mean, they saw a young black man jogging in their neighborhood, and that's why they followed him. It's just, it's just, um, it's so sick on so many levels. I, I, you're right that that is the fundamental that is the baseline and the biggest injustice there and it's the obvious cause but there's an additional level of like what the fuck are you doing yeah the fact the fact that you think you have the right to do this the fact that you have such confidence in your ability to people and get away with this yeah Yeah. well i think it's i think it's the idea that they not they they knew that the system was on their side because they called 911 they followed him with guns. There was they weren't trying to hide this behavior. They were yeah. calling the authorities while they were stalking. And I think that's what scares me. A young man. Why and and see this is me leaning into that instinct of like why this couldn't happen or something. That trying to make it more. Oh, these are just sick people who really did think it was wrong, and it's sick mm-hmm. that they thought it was wrong. But maybe they're just crazy. Whereas it's possible and maybe even probable that they were fully aware that they were just going to go on, like, a lynching march, that they were going to pick the this guy. The and... latest news that we have in this is um, 
the latest story that came out about this was the witness who uh, his name was um, William Bryan. He, William, quote unquote, Rody Bryan. He was uh, the one who filmed um, the death of Ahmad Arbery. Uh, he just testified that he heard Travis McMichael, who was the younger of uh, the two, the son, um, and knew Travis McMichael was the one in the video who shot Ahmad. Um, he, he testified that he heard him call Ahmad the N word as he was. Um, after he'd shot him. There so there's go. no question. Yep. Um, even without this knowledge, there would be no oh, question yeah, but this, of the from a legal standpoint, we'll make it the a underlying problem here. Absolutely. But it's just the it, what this is exposing about and again, like I say that, I say what this is exposing about our culture is sick while also knowing that this is we've just been sheltered. People have known it. about yeah. you know, and it's like it's not even because, like, we have talked about cases like this many, many times on our podcast. We talked about again, both from Jean, Tatiana Jefferson, Lando Castillo. You're more anecdotal than they are. Even you hope they're anecdotal, it. and then once you start listening to what Black people have been telling us for a long time, yeah. you realize that these cases are very common, and, and I think you also we hope are, that it's getting we are better. able to ignore them. That, yeah. that maybe because there was so much uproar over this one or this one or this one sequentially that something changed, but no. Um. So in the in the Ahmed Arbery case, um, this is something that kind of went under the radar, which I thought was interesting, uh, at, at least at first. But um, so he was he was killed on February twenty third. On February twenty seventh, the Brunswick District Attorney Jackie. Jackie L. Johnson recused herself from the case, pointing out that Gregory McMichael, uh, the father of Travis McMichael, um, and one of the two men who shot Ahmad, or who, I'm sorry, who followed Ahmad, and then, and then was, yeah, uh, he was a former Glenn County police officer and had been a longtime investigator in his office until his retirement last May. He was also a former police officer. Uh, George E. Barnhill, the second DA, he was a, a DA of Waycross, uh, county, he advised police that there was no reason to make an arrest, arguing that they had that um, Travis and Gregory McMichael had acted legally under Georgia's citizen arrest and self-defense laws. He also had to recuse himself from the case after because it turned out his son had worked in the Brunswick prosecutor's office with Gregory McMichael. Uh, then Tom Durden, a third DA, took over the case. Um, in early May, the video that William Rody Bryan shot from inside his car began to circulate. Mark Lamont, this is again the Mark Lamont Hill um, quote that I mentioned earlier. Um, he said, it wasn't because the DA saw the video. The mm -hmm. DA pressed charges because we saw the video. So the DA had the video that William Rody Bryan shot of Lamont Arbery being killed. Mm -hmm. And they, um, at least in the case of George Barnhill, he said, he told police that there was no reason to make an arrest. Um, yeah. The, the strongest evidence of that is the time that elapsed between it happening and anything coming of it. Absolutely. It wasn't until 74 days later um, that the two men were charged in that case. They, uh, William Bryan was charged with felony murder. The case is being investigated as a hate crime. Um, Ahmaud Arbery would have turned 26 on May 8th. Yeah, it's just sickening um, that, that both uh, Brianna Taylor and Arbery would have had birthdays in this period too. I I don't know. It just the humanity yeah, of it is so stark. I I think that the yeah, it's 
I think it just really lays bare. Yeah. Which the, the only the silver lining is that maybe it makes the it evil more humanizing what happened. Yeah. Um, in a way that people can comprehend if they haven't before. Um, so the other thread that ties this case to George Floyd is this concept of felony murder, which um, it's a bit of a side note in terms of the obvious theme, but um, I just think it's kind of interesting and it's worth discussing the route that we are taking to get here and also the fact that it is a statement being made by prosecutors for the most part i would assume in both cases so felony murder is a term of art it's not just like lowercase f m like the felony level of murder it's a classification of murder charge unintentional homicide where you transfer the intent to commit a different felony so um, in the George Floyd case, I guess it, I'm trying to think what it was there. Oh, oh, it was intent to assault because it's chauvin. So the intent to commit the felony of assault, which is pretty much a slam dunk, obviously that's there. Um, they use that. And then if in the commission of an intentional felony and in that process, somebody is killed, they just kind of bring that intent over, even if you didn't intend to murder and they make it this thing called like felony hyphen murder. Um, right. And then in the Arbery case for William Bryan, who was both... He only filmed, he, but he also sort of, when he was yes. driving up, he boxed Ahmad in with his car, and he did not try to get out and help him. So yeah, at the so very the, least, the not getting he did out not help. is not necessarily criminal conduct in and of itself, because you're not required to help, um, which tends to be a good public policy to not have the responsibility of um, putting yourself in harm's way if you think about it in contexts that are less loaded, but the the blocking his exit, they also charge Brian with false imprisonment because he prevented him from leaving. He imprisoned this man who then in the commission of that felony, the false imprisonment felony, it ended up getting this person killed. So uh, just kind of interesting that both of those cases used felony murder to get murder charges for people who were either bystanders right. or were complicit in a loss of life that otherwise they might not have been charged with. And that's that's kind of the public policy justification for felony murder as a murder charge, is to make a statement I, to deter conduct like this in the future for particularly heinous crimes that maybe don't fit the bill of like, I have malice aforethought, I'm going to go kill this person today. Um Still getting those premeditation, yeah. yeah. So it's good that both of and those I, prosecutors did that eventually. I think that that represents the um, the outrage and the horror that people have. Uh, the, the The reaction from the population in general has been just abject horror, mm -hmm. and I think that the fact that they are charging, I think that the charges reflect the outrage from people who um, are facing right. these videos, watching these videos, and there is no way to deny yeah. the, the horror of what's happening. Maybe to say that the um, prosecutors did it was giving undue credit to them that, like, their actions are more reactionary, and the credit yeah. is owed to society well, I mean, and the black community specifically. In both cases, uh, it, was, it wasn't just conceptually a reaction, it was literally a reaction yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. in the Ahmed Arbery because case of the time elapsed at least with Arbery absolutely in the Ahmed Arbery case they weren't even going to charge them mm -hmm. with anything at first and they certainly weren't going to charge yeah. William Rody Bryan in this case 
um, until there was a public outcry that again, the family had to fight tooth and nail for. And if we had, if we had a justice system that actually delivered justice equally, we would, the family would not have to fight for yeah. charges to be made. And we saw that in the Ahmed Arbery case. Yeah. We saw that in the George Floyd case. And we are seeing that in the Breonna Taylor case. Yeah. And there we go. Breonna Taylor, um, as we said, today is her birthday. Um, she would have oh, been God. 27 years old. The, <sighs> the fact that she I is think a first responder, that she was an EMT in the middle of the, the COVID outbreak, and mm. that's when she's killed. It just oh also my God. people found um, people found her Twitter account and she was talking about 2020 was going to be her year and um, she talked about whether or not she might have kids this year. She talks about what might have been different about her life had she not moved to the city she lived in. It's just um, like such optimistic human young person sentiments like i, I don't know it's i could stuff, picture like, any we're one of us in our, saying that we're both in our mid-20s yeah. we, i can see either one of us tweeting yeah. stuff like yeah. that and it's just like it's just this um yeah she was just she was a woman in her mid-20s who deserved to have a long life and it was cut short because uh police for no uh, reason police entered her residence with no with for no reason it was this is what exactly what happened in March, uh, Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend were in their house. Um, the police got a no-knock warrant based off of what they said hmm. was a conversation with a postal inspector who said that she was receiving packages that were being delivered to her house that had the name of uh, another man who was implicated in a narcotics case who was already in their custody. Yeah, so let's say um, off the bat, we it's already it's a drugs case, and right. the person that they're looking for is already in custody. So and <laughs> to add another layer to this, postal inspector later said that he never spoke to police. So we don't even have that so, basis. Like there, I mean, the layers just keep, and then. Well, actually, I'll, I'll put a little pin in this until we get to the constitutional thing. But when you think about both the human levels of there's no intuitive good reason for this to have even been a, a violent encounter, period. And then you add the fact that they went in at night, and, and you'll explain this more, but that they had a no-knock warrant and that they went in at night when there was no exigency at all. No, absolutely. And it's... I think that it's just one of those cases where you just see how the the police are are allowed to make awful decisions. Well, implicitly, and get allowed. away with it without consequence. Right? They're allowed the to break are allowed, the law. Essentially, they're allowed to do the thing that they're penalizing. We are just the the the, the Black Lives Matter movement. This movement is asking for the police held accountable for the consequences of their actions when they hurt or kill black people. Yeah, it's just like, and stop murdering us. And, and that is our, meriting a lot absolutely. of violence. And our society is pushing back against that. Our society as a whole, not, and law enforcement now there's a lot of popular, yeah. law enforcement specifically is saying, like, is pushing back against that. And I think that, you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement started, 
the public perception of the movement was very different. And I think that there, over the years, I think because there are, are so many videos, yeah, there are so many videos that y- you really can't, um, if you're online at all, mm-hmm. you really can't pretend there's not a problem with police brutality, especially police brutality directed at black people. And so it's like, there was a whole generation of people who came up on the internet, seeing these videos shot by civilians or on police body cameras coming out. Um, And so I think that that's one of the reasons why the, I think that's why people can't look away now, you know, in a way that they were able to before and the way they chose to do before. And I think that um, but, part of it is that the white community has such a different relationship to law enforcement that kind of lent a presumption of um, credibility that, yeah. especially in interactions with the black community and I think a lot of communities of color, that presumption certainly was not earned and didn't exist in practice. But when you're hearing these stories and you don't have the videos and you don't have the same interactions in the beginning, the leaning with a lot of white people was to question Defend the non-law yeah. enforcement because, you know. But we also, I don't know, in this country, we also just have a different, we have a different standard for law enforcement where yeah. we really are very authoritarian when it comes to law enforcement where it's, we have, again, like the, we go through that checklist. Well, if you don't, you know, so so yeah. you got roughed up during arrest, you should have complied. Should and have I wonder listened. how much of that you is, should have run a stoplight. It's psychologically like, inevitable. Make all these excuses. Yeah, I don't know. And I think about this I, with military I don't think too. I, want, I don't think we need to say inevitable. I think that saying inevitable is a cop out because well, I don't know if how we say much this is inevitable because like the instinct. Right. I think there's an instinct of self-protection and that you kind of distinguish yourself, like when you're watching a scary news story. That it's like, well, I never would have done that so this bad thing won't like it's a self-protection thing but we have to fight against that urge right right in ourselves and and we have to call it out other people because i think about this in terms of power structures in general too and this will get on a tangent that i'll try to keep short but when you think about the need to kind of have drone-like people in things like the military and law enforcement because you almost don't want anybody who has the critical thinking to question commands and military is less, um, it's less easy to argue that you can abolish it completely because you think of uh, circumstances where there's, there really is a defensive need. And so those are analogous in terms of what I'm thinking to like, how much do you really need drone-like people? And if you need drone-like people, how much can you still instill like humanity and critical thinking when you need it in that sense? I don't know. I think it's, that it's more rhetorical. Uh, yeah, but. I'm not. I actually, I have to think about that because I'm not quite sure. I don't have an answer. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just something yeah, I think about. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that when it comes to law enforcement specifically, I think as soon as you get into that that line of work, I have a lot of thoughts on nothing. Why people easy. are attracted to law enforcement yeah, in the first too. place, and also um, the system and the way that it grinds people up and spits them like. The, there's a lot well, there's a lot of other like theory too. about that like where they recruit yeah. and how they train they recruit. And, and what the, i think that it's really well, to say. think about 
in future. But so yeah, we can maybe talk. We can maybe circle back. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about this again, very in the very near future. So maybe we can circle back on that. Yeah, but, um, but what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. valuable so thoughts. With, but you want to figure with, finish up the Brianna, Brianna Taylor. Taylor story. Yeah, yeah, Brianna Taylor specifically. Um, the police, they, the postal inspector again said that um, he never spoke to police. So what we're left to believe is that. We don't know why they entered her house, but they well, they had every a excuse that they have. They had a, uh, they no had a no warrant, warrant. That, uh, is arguably unconstitutional. But every reason that we've been given so far has not held not up. Not a justification. So why it. were the police yes. in Brianna Taylor's house? We don't know. We, I mean, um, the, the thing is, my slight tweak on that is we know why, but it just wasn't a good reason. You know. I mean, she, they had a no-knock warrant, but the, yeah. anyway, they knocked on the door. They well, did not announce that they were did they officers. They had a no-knock warrant, but they were, like, being on the door, and they weren't announcing they were officers. And obviously, Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend were not expecting the police to show yeah, up somebody in knocks the middle on of your the night. Because they had – Right. Police did not announce themselves. I read, I read multiple accounts that they did knock on the uh, – okay, here's a caveat. Okay. Police say they knocked on the door of first. Course. That's their account. The lawsuit that is against them said that they did not announce themselves. So there's a there's a chance that they knocked but didn't announce themselves. Well, so themselves. that's tough because the the requirement is usually referred to as knock and announce. Right. So uh, yeah. Whatever happened, they break the door down, and Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend are in their house. Um, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend grabs a gun because he thinks someone's breaking yeah. into his home. Which they literally, I mean, they they literally have done that. They were. They're no, I mean. It's not even that he thinks someone yes. was breaking into his home. And so he grabs his gun and he starts shooting. An officer was hit in the leg. And th- by all accounts, Brianna Taylor was hit eight times. She in bed. Well, she died in her hallway. But yeah, mm. she was in bed when they started shooting. She died in her hallway. Um, and an EMT, this is, if we didn't say that. Like, she was an EMT. Like a promising life. Just, just looking at, I mean, just looking at these photos of Brianna Taylor, and again, she's just, she's just this beautiful woman in her mid twenties. It's really wrenching because it could be any one of us, except that we happen to be white, so it wouldn't happen to us. But it, everything else is just so familiar. It's really right, and it's like, again, why do we? It's this idea of. There shouldn't have to be an effort to humanize these people. They're yeah, people. They're sh- I understand. I absolutely agree with you. I think in practicality, something ha- – a lot of people, whether they be shitty people or not, have something hasn't gotten through to them. Yeah. Until then. I think so, – think And, and think also things people, are going to hit different people different ways. Like this yeah. one, for whatever no, reason, yeah, for is me, so familiar. For me, see, I just like I – just, I just look at Brown Taylor and I'm like – like you be my friend. I, uh, you could be my, yeah, you're just the beautiful 27 year old woman with like all like you're just like you're tweeting out your thoughts and you're just like it's just this it's just it's so familiar yeah. and um it's a heartbreaking case. Uh, all these cases are just they're uh, uh, they're completely unique. unacceptable. Yep. Um factors. Yeah, and it's uh it's so Be- Brianna Taylor is so similar like I said before. To Tatiana Jefferson, yes, which we um, who was about. killed last October in Fort Worth, um, she was shot in her home. A pr- also, Tatiana Jefferson, twenty-eight-year-old pre-med graduate student, which is so similar to to mm. Brianna Taylor, 
and just again you just this you just mourn the 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 time lost the, the time that was stolen loss. from these women yeah like who, the, who would they have been and and it's just it's so tragic and the fact that if these if these cases hadn't been brought to yeah. um to the to national attention Brianna Taylor they just reopened her case like two days ago initially no charges were brought they just reopened <laughs> except her case. against the boyfriend um, initially they charged the boyfriend with attempted murder of a police officer and then they they later dropped the charges how magnanimous police broke yeah. into this couple's house and killed Brianna right. Taylor and then and if you had, had a the audacity yeah. to charge her boyfriend for trying to defend them I don't know what to tell you so yeah. What we Mackenzie's gonna expand on. No, we can wrap this up. Um, can you just really quick? The, the uh, things that I wanted to hit about, um, not gonna announce because I think that this will become a conversation now that they've reopened the case, and it's good to know in general too what what's allowed, what's not. So, not gonna announce is part of the reasonable requirement in the Fourth Amendment, like no unreasonable search and seizure, uh, restriction. So. You cannot have a reasonable search or a reasonable warrant to search without knocking on the door, giving an audible announcement that you are law enforcement, and then waiting like five to ten seconds. Um, Enough to give the people inside an indication of your authority and your purpose being there. And you have to use like reasonable effort to make sure that they hear you and that you've given them time to respond. And you have to do that in good faith. Um... The Supreme Court has held that there can't be statutes that for certain types of crimes, you don't have to do that. So they've they've really upheld the importance of uh, knock and announce as part of reasonable search and seizure. Um, there are exceptions when there's a reasonable suspicion that someone inside is destroying evidence or exigency like somebody's fleeing or it's going to be violent, something like that. Uh, certainly don't have that here, and I really, really wonder how the warrant got issued, regardless of whether, you know, police officers now are saying that they knocked, which, to me, if they're the only ones saying that and they got a no-knock warrant, um, a little questionable at best. Yeah. Uh, but how the hell did they get a no-knock warrant to be executed in the middle of the night on somebody for whom they had no evidence. Because when you get a warrant and you get a judge to sign it, you have to show what evidence you have, not only yeah. to back up the warrant, but to back up the need for it to be executed at this time and for you to dispense with the, the knock and announce requirement. So I don't know what the hell they it's said. It's bizarre. Uh, but that to me is the, very the case is, And that's, that's the all case I'll is, say about that. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think it, I, we'll, we'll follow up on that. The we'll case see. is still open. Yeah. Uh, was just reopened. Um, you can... You can read more about that and also contact the uh, mayor and the governor in that case to, if you, if you Kentucky, would right? like to do some advocacy. Um, yes, I believe. Let me actually make sure. I think it was Louisville? Yeah, Louisville. Okay. Um, so you can you can contact the authorities if you would like to express your opinion about yeah. this um, and talk to them about charges being brought against the officers in that case. Um, I believe that the the whole idea of how you access no-knock warrants is being questioned in that state as well. Yeah, and even following the law that already exists is a great start, and it sounds like that didn't happen. No, absolutely. Um, there also, there were three, at least. just in the uh, time between, at least, just in the time between um, George Floyd's killing and, and today, there were three more cases of black people being killed by police. There was uh, Tony McDade. He was a 38-year-old trans man who was 
um, killed in Florida. He, he was killed two days after George Floyd's death. He was killed in police custody. That case is still being investigated. Uh, David McAtee, uh, he was uh, the owner of a barbecue shop, also in Louisville. Oh, Jesus God. Um, he was the owner of a barbecue, a barbecue restaurant in Louisville, um, beloved in his community, and he was shot during a protest earlier mm. this week. Um, he was actually known for giving free food to police officers oh, in that God. community. Uh, go ahead. You, can you, you want to mention uh, um, um, the one that happened in Arizona? Just, yeah, and I don't know too much about this one because I just heard about it today, but uh, a man named Dion Johnson was shot in Arizona, another black man. Um, so that we'll keep track of all these cases and see how they develop because like the George Floyd case, um, things come out as time goes on and uh there's certainly been there's also a lot going on this week so we'll see oh yeah it's it just keeps coming these stories keep coming out we're gonna try to stay on top of um on top of them this is going to be something we're going to be talking about for the foreseeable future yeah. and um there's also there's one more case a 22 year old named james scurlock was killed by a bartender at a protest um, in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, I spent my summers in Nebraska. Um, I know that area well. It's it's really heartbreaking to see this young man. He was just killed at a protest by a white bartender, and he no charges have been brought against the bartender named Jake Gardner in the shooting. Uh, it's been declared self defense, and the authorities in that case are actually looking for witnesses still. Um, in Omaha, they are hoping that people come forward to give more information about that case. We wanted to close out by mentioning some foundations that you can check out, uh, places to donate, and if you would like to educate yourself more on anti-racist, um, the anti-racist movement, yeah, advocacy anti-racist and actions. Kind of get some primary sources, folks who can speak to it more from firsthand experience, because obviously we're not people of color. Um, we're just trying to use our platform to elevate those voices and causes. So Hopefully uh, point you in that direction yeah, a little bit, too. Yeah, maybe give some options of, of how you can advocate regardless of what your own demographic background is. So some And get involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah some things that... I will post, it's on my social media already. Post them in the show notes. Yeah, we'll post them in, in the show notes or the description. If you go to my Instagram, mkzjoybrennan, or my Twitter, which is get me to a nunnery, but with the number two, um, I have two lists of nonprofits and bail funds that are listed by state and city that you can donate to that will help with getting protesters out of jails and related causes. Then the other things that I would say, uh, legal assistance. If you are arrested yourself in a protest context, or really any context, um, or you see somebody else who is arrested or somebody that you know and care about is arrested in, in one of these contexts, uh, National Lawyers Guild has branches in every state um, so that's a great first-line defense, and they do baseline-level criminal charges. Um, if you're in New York, which is where a lot of this stuff is going on, I know at least New York has a legal aid society, and they do great work. And they honestly will probably help direct you in other major cities 
And I would say the same of the ACLU, which tends to be a higher tier, kind of the next step up in terms of constitutional questions. They do less of like the one-on-one advocacy, but in a pinch, they will at least have the resources to help direct you to a place. If you reach out to your local chapter of the ACLU, they'll know where to send you. So if you're looking for like a first call or something, um, not if you only have one phone call. And I will also say of the arrest context, be sure, if you're ever in that circumstance, to ask for an attorney. Because yes, you have a right yep. to one, but they don't have to provide it to you unless you ask. They just have to Mirandize you and tell you that you have that right. Then the onus is on you to ask for it. So And do not talk until you have a lawyer except present. Except to ask. And that's the one thing that I would call to ask for a because lawyer. Because a lot of people say, like, you know, don't say a word until your lawyer gets there. They don't come automatically. So the one yeah. thing I would say to ask not be quiet it. about is to ask for it up front and then shut the hell up. Yeah. And so those yeah. are my practical pieces of advice. Um, if you're protesting a couple, a couple notes, um, Mackenzie mentioned the national lawyers guild number, look it up before you go and write it in Sharpie on your arm. Yeah, it's because if you get separated from your phone or if your phone gets taken away and put it in, in um, case of emergency, you're going to want to have it too. Put it in case that you're a roommate, you're yeah. someone you live, you know, your partner, anyone you live with, someone who can do jail support for you, someone who can call and advocate on your behalf with the um, with the police. Also, um, a good thing to do because you want someone who's outside of the jail to know yeah. that you're in jail. Yeah. Another thing is that if you um, if you know that you're going to protest and you're worried about being arrested. Go with a fully charged phone. Do not bring anything that can be seen as a weapon. Mm. I'm talking like anything sharp. Do not bring your fucking army knife. Don't bring if you have mace. Don't bring don't bring anything that can be seen as a weapon. No needles. Nothing. Even like I was talking to a friend of mine who um, has diabetes, and she she was like handing out water at protests, but not being actively like in the protest because she was worried how her insulin needles would be taken seen by police or being separated from her insulin at some point. So think about that. Take care of yourself. Um, again, write down the numbers on your somewhere on your body that you can yeah. cover so it, so it doesn't sweat off. Also, if you know that you're going to a protest, tell someone that you will yes. contact them at a certain time and tell them you do not contact them at that time to, for them to either reach out to you or start looking to see which precinct you might be at. Because again, if you get arrested, you may not even be able to call them and you do not want to be sitting in a jail for more than you know, you have to be sitting and in jail. And they're processing a lot of people um, right now, so, yeah. Absolutely, especially if you're in New York City. Uh, Friday nights, a lot of shifts change over, so sometimes if you get arrested on a Friday night, you will be there all weekend. Be careful of that. Just protect yourself. Watch out for each other. Again, if you are white at these protests, listen to black activists around you. Listen to the organizers. Be safe. Do don't what be they an say. Asshole. Do not. Yeah. Do be safe. Do not be an asshole. Do not start shit. You know, if you're if you're at a Black Lives Matter rally and you're white, you've already understood that there is inequality in the system. So use that privilege that you have as a buffer and try yeah. to be aware of where you're standing, where you are, what you're doing. Um, and that's what we want to say about that. I have a couple of things to plug as well, just in terms yeah. of um, we're going to have put some links in to donate to. Um, some people to follow uh, yeah. to be a more direct voice. Michelle Sindor is the White House correspondent for the PBS NewsHour. I love her so much. She has been a popular target of Trump's, but she's a good voice to look to and is so objective and measured, just like the most professional presence for somebody who's also pretty young. 
And so I would definitely recommend her because obviously she's covering this stuff as well. In terms of more activist voices, uh, Ijeoma Aluo, and I think Ahamefile also, her brother, he has some stuff too. Um, Roxanne Gay, and that's one N in Roxanne. And my personal recommendation, a friend of mine, Oleemi Oloren, she is a gal that I went to law school with, and she now works for the Legal Aid Society in New York City, and she's a black woman herself, and she's had a lot of good insight to keep apprised of what the Legal Aid Society is doing and, you know, some legal perspectives from the black community itself and the black legal community. Um, So that's been really useful, and she is at Ms. Oloren, M-S-O-L-U-R-I-N. So for some rocks on my end, uh, places to donate, National Bailout works to bail out Black mothers and caregivers. Um, they actually do a really wonderful fundraiser on Mother's Day mm. um, and, and throughout the year, but especially focusing on just specifically Black mothers and caregivers who can't afford bail um, and to donate to them right now because they're also helping protesters. But obviously throughout the year, they're a great place to donate to. Um, the Oprah Foundation provides food for Black trans folks in NYC. They actually send chefs to cook for uh, Black That's trans awesome. folks. Especially Pride um, Month. Yeah, do it. No, absolutely. It's Pride Month. Mm. Put some money in there. Uh, black Trans Travel Fund also helps assist um, uh, Black trans folks to get around safely, as you know, it can be dangerous Especially to either travel. Now, yeah. um, absolutely. They help people get around safely. Um the Loveland Foundation provides therapy for black women and girls. And um, also, uh, I just found this organization today, but therapy, therapyforblackmen.org. Mm. Really self-explanatory. They provide um, therapy for black men specifically. Um, so if you are, if you want to reach out to, if you're, you know, obviously this takes a toll on mental health, please reach out if you need help and donate, donate to these yeah. organizations. There's also... Uh, you find your local bail fund. There's the Brooklyn Bail Fund. Um, yeah, and those lists that I have will kind of allow you to pick by city if you, you know, if something's going on absolutely. in a specific city or if it's your city, uh, whatever your taste is on or what the need is on any given day. The LGBTQfund.org is also currently working to bail out protesters, but they work to bail out trans people year round who um, at higher risk of violence in jails. Um, we should add Janet Mock activists. to our list of follows. So you had mentioned that. Yeah, uh, Janet Mock is one of the people you should follow for information on, on things like inequality. Uh, wonderful trans activist who has been in the public eye for a while now, doing really good work. Uh, Rachel Cargill, she is one of the co-founders of the Loveland Foundation. You should follow her as well. Tamika Mallory uh, is also a good person to follow if you'd like to get more information on, uh, just to educate yourself about what's going on right now. Also, Alicia Garza. Uh, at Ch- Chasing Garza on Instagram. She's um, doing a lot of education in this area as well. One thing that I would say is um, following people is a good idea. We're, we're also going to put links to just some anti-racist resources, reading lists, and other yeah. ways to educate yourself. Um, Rather than outsourcing it. <laughs> but absolutely. One thing that, that I've heard over and over again is um, do not go to your black friends right now and ask them to educate you dealing with a lot um Um, they are going through enough right now they are dealing with a lot they do not need to take the time and energy out of their day to either placate your guilt or make you feel better about what's going on or walk you through things or educate you they never do right there especially and now (laughs) especially um there are honestly like even just 
going to some of these, like, find your way through Instagram, find people yeah, who are talking about these issues, out there. watch their IGTV, like, there's so much information out there, Google about it, um, we're gonna, again, we're gonna put up some reading lists, but if you just literally Google anti-racist education, anti-racist resources, you will find a plethora of information and you can start there. other people have so, answered um, these questions before, and so that's the good, like, it's, you're not right. flying totally blind, um, if you're trying to educate yourself, these things do exist without you having to, you know, get it with a side of validation from um, people Absolutely. in your own life who are already dealing Don't with Don't leave this at their yeah. feet. Don't leave this in their laps right now. Um, reach out to... Reach out to the, tap into the resources that already exist. And don't don't put that on your phone. We can provide some of those um, as intermediaries here too. Um, but that's the entire that's, the entire goal of this episode yes. is to provide some uh, some knowledge about what's to going be on, an extra some crutch and a mouthpiece, right? Just some awareness about what's going on to talk about it, and we will continue to do that. But we just want we wanted and we, we might mess up. We and did not want to let us know if we do. Um, yeah <laughs> no absolutely this is gonna be a work in progress um we are we're we are open to learning and we, this is the whole point was we're we're trying to learn about this um we're trying to stay aware of the situation as as these things it's unfold and we're trying to and do better and so we're gonna included. yeah yes all right um, we love you very much we should probably sign um, off um yeah i think i gave my social media plug i'm mkz joy brennan on instagram i'm get me to a nunnery on twitter but the two is the number two and brooke hit it yeah if you'd like to reach out to us uh send messages Please or whatever do. my instagram is brooke angeline on insta and um bke rogers on twitter um, and we're both gonna yeah, be back in the new know. york groove soon so uh hopefully these will get to be more regular yes. and we will at least have that sense of consistency and we'll get back to all our dear friends and you guys and we will still be recording Ooh. from our separate rooms because oh, yes. we are still technically in the middle of a pandemic but we the same Although, thing, so i am phase one worker so i get to kiss all the litigants very soon yes mackenzie will go into work and i will stay in my hovel Okay. I will turn ever more pale. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. Um, we love you very much. Stay safe and stay healthy and stay as happy as Thank you for listening. Yes. Stay safe and sane right now. All right. God bless you and keep you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.